Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgin. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Cujo Virgil, and I'm very, very excited for our guest today. Today, we have a special guest that focuses on multifamily investing and ATM investing. And we're also going to touch on how to raise $12 million in 12 months. But before we get into today's show, as you know, this show runs on reviews. And if you haven't yet, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to today's show to leave a review. It really helps with getting high quality guests like the one we have today and helps with visibility on all podcast platform. So far, we've had a lot of feedback. We've had a ton of five-star reviews, but we're looking for more feedback on how to best serve you, our listeners. So thank you so much for leaving us another review today. So let's dive into it. Today's guest is Bronson Hill. Now, Bronson is a managing member of Bronson Equity, and Bronson is a general partner in over 2,000 multifamily units worth over $200 million. And Bronson co-leads a large in-person multifamily meetup in Pasadena, California called FIBI Pasadena Multifamily. And Bronson is also the host of the Mailbox Money Show, and he understands the investor's mindset, having spoken to individually over the phone with the 1,300 investors and have raised over $30 million for real estate and his ATM fund deals. Bronson is also the author, How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage, and is a regular contributor to YouTube and his blog. And he is also the capital raising coach at Kingdom REI, a faith-based group helping investors find deals and raise funds for large real estate deals. Bronson, I mean, you you have an incredible background. Thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. Hey, Yannick, really excited to be here, man. Love talking real estate, investing, what's happening in the world, also sports. So I know those are all things that you're you're doing and interested in as well. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, let's dive into it, right? But before we get into it, you know, we're going to talk about multifamily, capital raising, maybe touch a little bit about, you know, your background, you know, how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I was a uh, well-paid medical sales professional. I was working in surgery, selling medical devices for heart surgical equipment. So I was going in to work with physicians and wearing scrubs and it was, you know, it's making over 200,000 a year. And I enjoyed what I did, but uh, I just felt like I always had to go to work and I didn't want to have that, you know, I kind of have to, I really enjoy traveling. I enjoy writing and I love just being able to have, you know, flexibility and I, I kind of saw this in a lot of medical professionals. Um, I saw that a lot of people had a lot of money, but they didn't have time. And I've come to believe that financial freedom really uh, involves time freedom. And if you don't have time freedom, then you're not really financially free in most cases. For example, there were a couple of physicians I worked with. They were working 60 to 80 hours a week, but they were making 2 $3 million a year. So they're making a lot of money, but they didn't have the freedom not to go to work. 
And so a lot of people have a money problem where, you know, it's not they don't have money, they have money, but they don't know what to do with it. So they can actually replace their living expenses through passive income. And I think a lot of things people think are passive are not such as the stock market or the things that are there's a lot of volatility. And once you learn how to make money or let your money make money for you, and you can replace your living expenses uh, or your income, then you become free. And that's really what my quest was. I started with single family, discovered uh, multifamily, learned I could raise money. And, you know, just kind of one thing led to another. It's been about five years and we've raised 30 million. I was able to leave my job about uh, a year and a half ago. And uh, it's been quite a ride. That's incredible. I love the way that you said financial freedom is about time freedom, um, especially for high net worth individuals, you know, folks who are making a ton of money, but also spending a lot of time in their job as well. You know, they may think that they have all of this freedom, right? Because money does bring freedom, but the real value of freedom is your time, right? Whenever you yeah. you're, you have to clock in for money, you're really a slave to the dollar at that point. Yeah. There's actually, I think there's a, a stat that says that over 60% of people don't like their jobs and that's really sad. And, you know, when you get to a place where uh, especially when you have a family, or you've got kids or there's, you know, expectations and obligations, it gets hard because, you know, maybe you don't want to do that anymore, but you're kind of stuck there. But when you can actually find a way, you know, Robert Kiyosaki in his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad says the rich don't work for money, right? They work for assets. They find ways to make their money work for them rather than them working for money. There's a saying that the, you know, the wealthy will invest first and live off what's left over and the middle class, the poor, they will spend, you know, first and live off with first and then invest on whatever's left over, which a lot of us is not much, right? Because we, we don't, if we don't prioritize it, then we don't do it. But yeah, so I think it's so important that we try to find a way to become passive. We don't know. I mean, like in your case, you know, uh, being in the NFL, like, you know, you just don't know how long you're able to do that. And a lot of people, they're living the high life and all of a sudden they think the money's never going to stop and something happens and all of a sudden the money stops or they can't do that. You know, I guess for the average person, it might be more less they get injured and a job they're doing, but it's just maybe they have a health issue or they don't want to do this or they have, you know, a family thing. They want to be there for a family member and they can't do it because they're stuck to a job. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think COVID had a lot, can be a, a relevant example, right? And that's probably like a black swan event that probably is never going to happen again. But I mean, a lot of people lost their jobs that the night before, probably they thought that they were so secure. Yeah. You know, that's why I really love real estate is just the, the ability to have that freedom, like you mentioned, and, you know, if you, you kind of just keep working and build your portfolio over time, I mean, you can leave your job, right? Which is yeah. what I did. Other investors have done it. So I think our listeners can do that too. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something once you see someone who has done something that's like, oh, wow, like they were able to do this. It means that it's repeatable. It means that you can follow the different principles they've done. And and that's, I think that's one of the, one of the most transformational things is I just find somebody they can be a mentor, even if they're not officially mentoring me, I can watch them, I can learn from them, I can read their stuff, I can listen to them talk. And everybody's like, huh, okay, this person did it. So it means it's possible, right? And so then you know, you can do it. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, totally agree. So Bronson, you know, you have a, you know, a lot of experience on the capital raising side, um, you help people raise capital. Take us through that time span of like, you know, when you started in real estate in a multifamily space to raising, you know, up to $30 million, like, how are you able to accomplish that? Because a lot of our listeners are maybe starting off, maybe they've done a couple of deals and they're just trying to take it to the next level. So I'd love for you to kind of walk us through like, you know, when you first got your first deal to, you know, where you are today, like how you, were you able to kind of grow that capital raising side of your business, which yeah. arguably is the most important aspect of, uh, you know, real estate, private equity. 
Yeah, no, I think it's good. Um, yeah, it's it's been kind of a you know a lot of different things have happened, and I look back like, wow, did that really happen? I really did my job to that, but it it did and it happened, and really it started with me saying, hey, I want to change my life. I'm willing to put in some work to figure out how to do this. And a lot of times we don't really commit, you know, we don't really actually make a decision that I'm going to do this. You know, Tony Robbins has a quote, he says, it's in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. And I think that's so true. So when I said, Hey, I'm going to find a way to leave my job within three years, I did. And I was able to leave my job within three years. And so, you know, it's possible. So for me, what I did is I had been doing some single family rentals. A lot of people, you know, we think, Oh, we're going to, we're going to find a way to become financially free through single family but it's very difficult because flipping is a lot of work. It's a job. Uh, a lot of times if you do buy and hold rentals, they're very little, there's very little cash flow involved. Uh, I think really the secret is to find a way to use other people's money. And so I, I was doing single family. I have a cousin who's a multifamily guy who said, you know, Hey, this seems like a lot of work. You want to get all these houses, but why don't you do multifamily? And I said, I think what a lot of people would say is, well, I don't have the money. And he said, well, you can raise the money. And that took me on a road of understanding about syndication, which is just a fancy way of saying it's raising money and, and doing deals with for investors and with them to buy a larger property and it gets much more efficient once you go after you know, kind of like 60 units or more uh, you have on-site property management you've got you, know, you typically on-site maintenance you, so you get a, a discount on it instead of having 100 houses or 60 houses in different places you have them all in one place a lot of times similar products and similar stuff to maintain so for me, I read everything I could find on uh, multifamily and syndication. And of course, I had this cousin who's been doing it for years. He said, read this book, go to this conference, you know, learn that he just kind of gave me some of the got some guidance. So I ended up starting a meetup in Pasadena, uh, where I live. The first meeting, we had 60 people there because we promoted it a lot. And a guy says, hey, I, I, I do one of your deals. And I'm thinking like, are you talking to me? Like, you know, <laughs> he's like, but I got coffee with him. And he said, yeah, you know, I'd, do a, I'd be interested. And I, so I showed him a sample deal, just like, here's what a deal would look like. He said, yeah, I'd be interested in that. And I'd probably invest 100K in that. So then I, I introduced him to another guy I met at that first meeting who was a multifamily operator. And basically, you know, I just connected the two of them. So that's really what capital raising is. is it's just, can I, you know, you need money and you need a deal. You can't have, if you have money, but you don't have a deal. Or, and, you know, it's just, I think if you can raise money, it really opens a lot of doors. So I did that. And then I kind of just, you know, tried to figure out, okay, how can I grow this? What can I do? And really for me, it was about, you know, the next six months, I just started trying to develop a relationship. One of the, one of these guys I've been following who really more teaches syndication. He teaches people how to do syndication. He had a huge platform, but I basically just said, well, how's it going raising money? And what if we work together? And I just kind of presented some options and he's like, yeah, it sounds great. So then he had me come on board and they would, they weren't raising much money, but then they went and started raising, we started raising a bunch of money together. And over the next 18 months, we raised $15 million. So sometimes too, you know, we think we have to do everything ourselves. And if you're from single family investing, a lot of times it is kind of you because you're out there, maybe you've got a broker, you've got a repair guy or something, but multifamily is always a team sport. And so a lot of times you're just finding team members if you're, okay, if you're somebody who can find deals, that's great. If you're somebody who can raise money, but those are kind of the two ways people typically start. And so just trying to find a way to bring the value to do that is I think the way I got started and most people I know um, and then scaling up is just, you know, trying to find a way to create more value, like what you're doing here, a podcast or running a meetup or writing a book or, you know, doing these things that people can engage with and be like, huh, I really like that. That's really good. You know? Yeah, totally agree. And one of the things that I've found, you know, personally in our business is that putting yourself out there as a thought leader is probably the best way to do that, right? From a capital raising mm -hmm. side, you know, whether it's the webinars or whether it's, uh, you know, a podcast or um, having a meetup. A lot of investors are really out there in search of like who's the person that they actually should allow to 
trust their money with because there are mm-hmm. a lot of people out there that are you know not in the best interest of of the capital that they raise people out there that are on social media that are promoting one thing but are not actually you know giving the returns that they say that they would for mm-hmm. their investors and so i think the best way to put yourself out there is in a light that actually shines in your company that allows you to show that you're the person you're the thought leader right you are yeah. the one that's educated that you're the one that's experienced you're the one that has the team the track record to execute on on whatever business plan that you have for that particular asset type. Yeah, I agree. And and it is, it's amazing too. You know, a lot of times we think we've got to go have all these meetings and be a member at a country club and whatever, but it's kind of floor. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed. I mean, I look at where a lot of the investors that I, you know, have come from a lot of times it's been friends or family or referrals from friends and family, or I met them at an event or they just heard about me on YouTube or things like that. So sometimes it's through our networks that we have, particularly, sure for you, you know, a lot of people in, you know, professional athletes or ex-professional athletes, and that's a great network to have. But, you know, even if somebody's a dentist or they're a doctor or they work in a, some sort of business, there's people we know, and we just never know who knows who. So somebody could be like, you know, they're not somebody that, you know, really ends up being somebody that can invest with us, but they know somebody that could invest. And so a lot of times I think, you know, if we're just out to help people and we're just, you know, this is kind of a, a really, I think, you know, I had 10 years of sales experience in medical device sales, but really good salespeople, which really is what raising money is, is you're in sales. It doesn't feel salesy. No one wants to be sold, right? But everybody wants to have their problem solved. So if you can find a way to just be a helpful person, even if it's like, hey, I can't help you, but Yana can help you, right? Like I can refer to somebody else. That's a very high trust thing to do. And it builds a lot of equity with investors. So if you're just out there saying, hey, I just really want to do the right thing. And I really want to help people there will be more than enough business for you because a lot of people don't operate that way, particularly, you know, people that are out selling or or pitching whatever product or deal. I totally agree. So let's talk about how to raise 12 million in 12 months, because I think a lot of people struggled on the capital raising side, particularly, you know, the newer investor who is maybe trying to get their first deal, trying to figure out like, how can they establish themselves as credible and how can they, you know, raise this type of money, right? Maybe give our listeners a little bit depth behind, you know, how they can raise twelve million dollars in twelve months. Because twelve million is is a lot of money, but I, I'd love yeah. to for us to kind of learn from how they can achieve that. Yeah. So uh, in twenty twenty two, we raised about thirteen and a half million. I mean, there's some groups that raise way more, but I think for some people, it's just saying, okay, how do you start doing this, and how do you scale it up? And you know, one thing is is I learned pretty quickly is when you're doing real estate, you kind of have two businesses, you know, especially if you're raising money. One is the actual operations business or what you're doing. And other if you're raising money, you're not necessarily the primary operator. So that one might be a little smaller. But the second one is having a marketing business in relation to what you're doing. So if you're looking, if the goal really is raising money, it's important to have things that you can do that people can hear about what you're doing. They're adding value. They're educating. People are learning more from you. And it's instead of the one-to-one, it's the one-to-many. So like, you know, we have a YouTube channel now. We're getting on some of our videos. We're getting, you know, one to 10,000 views on some of these videos. And we'll always have a call to action that, hey, if you listen, you know, or if you're interested in joining our deal or you want to download this free resource, they do. And then people go and they find it and they download whatever it is. And so it's creating that process. And it's very similar if you go to any, you know, you may not know how to do this, but if you watch what people are doing. So if I go to some of the top leaders in the industry, and what are they doing? Well, they always have some sort of pop-up on their website that like you get some free resource or whatever. It's very compelling. So you're like, okay, sure, I'll get 10 ways to change my life with real whatever. And I download it. And then there's a way that they send me some email. They say, oh, here's what we do, whatever. And it's kind of a way that 
people get into our network or somebody else's network. And so I think the more you find ways to do that and you have systems around that, it allows you to be able to reach more people. And I'm always amazed. I remember when I met the guy that I mentioned that I was working with or I ended up working with for a couple of years, I went up and met him and I was like, oh, hey man, how's it going? And like, I realized like he comes a little standoffish, like he didn't know who I was, but I'd spent hours with him on his podcast, right? So like, I'm sure many of your listeners are on here for hours or somebody, if they're putting content out there, you know, I think, you know, it's just a way, is there a way we can multiply our time so we don't have to have conversations with everybody and keep tabs on everybody. And it'd be great to be able to have calls with every single person and do coaching and, you know, personal, all that stuff, but we just don't have the time to do it. So what we, I think we need to do is try to find a way to reach more people to have a mission and say, Hey, we really are trying to help people in this area. And I think the more you can focus in on who your avatar is, like who the person you're trying to reach is like for you, it might be ex-professional athletes, or it might be current professional athletes. For me, it's business owners that are, you know, typically 40 to 70 years old, either sold a business or are getting ready to sell a business. And I've just, you know, realized that's a group I can really connect with. Right. Or it could be professionals like me that want to leave a high paying job. So, yeah, I think that last part was, was really, really crucial there in terms of, you know, creating content that would attract your, your avatar. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. When I think about, I think you also made a good point on there's the operating piece of your business, right? And then there's a capital raising side of your business, but particularly Mm -hmm. the marketing side, right? Because either you have the cash within your back pocket or your network, or you have to go out there and create a network and create a community that, you know, that people that follow you and love what you're doing that support you to invest in your company. And I think that last part that you mentioned too, specifically when it comes to creating content on platforms where your avatar would be, right? So for example, you touched on professional athletes, right? Professional athletes, most of the time are not going to be on LinkedIn, right? So my content is probably not going to reach the professional athlete. That's probably going to be on maybe Instagram. You know, we're not heavily on TikTok or anything like that, but, Mm. you know, versus, you know, business owners, someone that's, you know, maybe high net worth, you might find them on LinkedIn, right? They're probably not going to be scrolling on TikTok all day looking for real estate uh, advice or, or real estate opportunities. So I think definitely curating content in a way that matches where your avatar is going to quote unquote hang out, right? Is yeah. something that is should be really, really focused on when you are creating that content or whenever you're marketing to attract that investor base. I think that's really, really key there. Yeah, I think, and, and sometimes too, we don't always know because generally I've thought, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn, but I know a guy who's, net worth north of 30 million and he's on TikTok all the time and he's in his <laughs> mid fifties. And so like, sometimes we just don't know. So sometimes too, yeah. you know, getting feedback and when you have an investor call or somebody reaches out, Hey, how'd you hear about us? That's a great question because then it will help you to know what you need to double down on. And then sometimes too, there's, you can repurpose content. So we're starting to put content, create one video and you put it on five different places. And again, that's where team helps. So I'm, I'm not actually putting the video, I'm recording the videos, but I'm not I'm the one putting them out and doing all this and optimizing, putting the letters on the screen and stuff like that. But, you know, it's, we don't always know where we're going to reach people, but you're right. Having some, you know, process to that or just even, because I kind of thought sometimes we think we know where people are going to come from, but we don't always know. And sometimes, you know, if, you know, again, I've, I've kind of been like, oh yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's LinkedIn, Facebook, but for me, we're seeing some traction on Instagram or, or TikTok and so it's funny how things change too. And we don't always, it's not always what we assume, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, one of our early investors came from Clubhouse, right? And that's when uh-huh. Clubhouse was started back in what, 2020, 2021-ish? Right. 
and you know we're no longer on clubhouse now because it's just it <laughs> takes a lot of time to be on clubhouse it's a time suck but you just never know right but the thing is that yeah. you know as long as you have some sort of foundation and a framework behind what you're doing from a content perspective and and the reality is you know people are are going to you know, see who you are based off of what you present. If you present yourself in a professional way, you know, people go to your website and they see a professional website, you know, it's an easy process. They see that you have an investor portal, you know, you're going to attract the person that you want to attract. And so um, I think that's really, really key there. Whenever someone is trying to raise capital, trying to, you know, grow their network or trying to launch their market inside of their, you know, real estate private equity company, that they think about that and those, you know, specific, um, spaces, if you will. So, yeah, absolutely. Hey, listen up. If you're an employee, business owner, or professional athlete with money in the bank, earning 0% return, and you're thinking about passively investing in real estate, well, you need to check out our ultimate syndication guide for passive investors. This free guide absolutely covers everything you need to know about passively investing in real estate syndication or just real estate in general. If you want access to this valuable resource, go to MerlinAcquisitions.com slash Passive Guide to download the free syndication guide for passive investors. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N Acquisitions.com slash Passive Guide or head over to the show notes and click the link to download. Now let's get back to the show. So you have an ebook called How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage. You know, talk a little bit about that how our listeners can use, you know, inflation to their advantage or, you know, if potential investors are trying to figure out, you know, how can they beat inflation? That seems like it's something that we've been talking about for the past 12 to 24 months. But give us a little bit context about, uh, you know, what's in that ebook. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of times where this really came from just seeing how inflation has it's changed, right? It was low for so long. And, uh, you know, it wasn't even really a thought. And now we're kind of back to really 70s era inflation where officially, you know, it's interesting, the government has also created a lot of misdirect around inflation, the causes of it, and, and also kind of well, what's actually happened, what inflation actually is. I mean, they're saying it's six, seven, six or 7%. I think it's more like 15% if you look at a site called shadowstats.com, which looks at actual inflation. And you think, well, aren't they reporting actual inflation? Well, it's no, they're actually kind of substituting things and delaying things and trying to make it as low as they possibly can. They'll say, if you like apples, but apples doubles in price, they say, well, you'd switch to oranges. Or if you're paying you know, $1,000 for rent for a two bedroom and rent goes up to 1,200, well, you'd move, it, you'd move down to a one bedroom. And it's just things that really aren't true or wouldn't happen. And so they're masking really what inflation really is. And the incentive is, is, you know, they want to keep spending. They have a bunch of debt they've got to try to figure out. But now, you know, inflation is high. Interest rates are high. People are wondering, well, I don't know what to do. And the confused mind will often just say to wait. And I think waiting right now is one of the worst things you can do. Because if you're actually, if inflation is actually 15%, you might have, I think it's 10% or 12%, whatever, whatever it is, it's high. So if you have 100K sitting in the bank, you could be losing, you know, 15K per year. If you hold for a couple of years, could be, you know, 30 to 40% of the value of whatever cash you have there. And people don't realize since 1913, since the Federal Reserve was created, the dollar has lost 98% of its value. So when I go to In-N-Out Burger, which is a great spot in LA, and, you know, I, I'm there with my daughter who's 10 years old. And I said, you know, here's the sign. Here's this picture on the wall. It shows, you know, the classic cars from 1950s. And, you know, a burger was 10 cents. And now it's $3.25. I say, well, what happened? You know, and she knows now. She's like, oh, yeah, they've, they've created more dollars, dads. So now it's, you know, it does not actually that the stuff costs more. It's just that the dollars are worth less. 
So as we're seeing it, we're going to the pump, we're going to the grocery store, we're seeing the pain of inflation. What's the way to really get on the other side of the equation, right? To get on the side that's like, hey, I actually take advantage of this. And real estate's an awesome way to do it because if you have a house or a real estate building, let's just say it costs $100,000, you put 20% down, so you put 20K down, the value goes up because, you know, rents generally rise, you know, things, you know, in general, real estate appreciates. It could be some, you know, especially single family be volatile, but let's say it goes to 120,000. We've had a 20% increase in the value, but you've had a 100% increase in your equity. So you've just doubled what you have there. And we had some cases like that where it's like, wow, we had a huge appreciation. We've had some, you know, almost a doubling of equity in a very short period of time, less than a year. So that can happen. And so there's kind of a couple advantages. We know that rents and inflation will go up over time or they'll go hand in hand. So rents will lag inflation slightly, but in general, it will kind of follow a trend line. Since 1960, it's almost just like a straight trend line where those two things go hand in hand. So if we know that, the rents are going to go up. That increases the value of multifamily real estate or rental property. Uh, it's different than single family. It's all based on comps. My house is worth what the house across the street or across town sold for. But with multifamily, it's all based on how much income is coming in from the property. So if the income rises through rents, we know it's going to be worth more in the future. We also know that if we're paying off the investment with future or the loan with future dollars that are worth less, then we're actually also taking advantage of it from both ways. So we're basically, we're, we know the asset's going to increase in value and we know that the value of the dollars we're using to pay it back are actually going down and it's actually below the rate of actual inflation. So if you get a rate that's below 10, 15%, you know, it's actually still a pretty good rate because you're using other people's money to buy most of it and it's uh, below the rate of inflation. So that, that's kind of one simple way to do it. There's some other strategies we have as well, but that's kind of the basic premise. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Inflation is the great wealth killer, right? You know, I see it, you know, in my emails personally, you know, from different banks that we have, you know, put your money in a CD, you know, put your money away, you get 5% rate, um, especially right. this time where the Fed, you know, Fed funds rate is significantly higher than where it was, you know, 12 months ago. But you have to invest, you have to put your your dollars into some vehicle that's going to keep up with inflation or else it's going to just be worth less. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think our listeners definitely should be investing their capital in some real estate cash flowing asset, particularly in today's environment where there may be a recession on, you know, on the back end. Who knows? You know, we don't have a crystal ball, but um, a lot of times doing, you know, times of volatility and turmoil. I've never had anyone complain about cash flow throughout that yeah. period. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's why, honestly, right now it's gotten more challenging to do real estate or multifamily deals because rates are higher. You know, we were, we had a year ago, we were having sub 3%, you know, interest both for single family and multifamily. I just had a couple smart guys, Neil Bawa and Ken McElroy on a panel. And we were just talking, you know, they basically, I think Neil said that the multifamily sales volume had gone down 78% in the last 12 months from what it was a year prior. So we're also looking, um, you know, we have our 200 million in multifamily and we're, we're also looking though in other assets. That's why we've looked at the ATM machines because it is a cash flowing type of investment and it's an investment that, you know, predictably we can get monthly payouts from it and hopefully, you know, about half the money back within a couple of years. And then, so it gives kind of money for the interim to say, okay, I can reinvest if I get a certain amount of this money back within a period of time. So I think finding, you know, no matter what the investment is, whether it's multifamily, it's ATMs, it's venture capital, it's stocks, whatever you're doing, just understanding, okay, what are the risks? What's the profile of this? And what's the positives? And there are some unique kind of alternative investments out there 
that are similar to real estate, but they function, you know, in ways where they have either more cash flow or more depreciation or other things that really help you based on your goals. I want to ask a question about the ATM aspect. Sure. You brought up a really good point, right? We're at a point in the multifamily, call it the multifamily cycle, where interest rates have risen astronomically, right? And there's a difference between what the buyers want to pay for the property, obviously, because, you know, interest rates have a significant impact on the amount of cash flow that you can distribute to your investors, but the sellers haven't really moved their pricing that much, right? So it's like we're getting into that territory where it's negative leverage, right? And so even what we're looking at as a firm is figuring out, you know, how can we diversify into other asset classes and look at other assets? You know, you touched on ATM investing, right? Like, how do you evaluate like an ATM opportunity? That's something that that's, that seems like a really niche type mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, real estate investment opportunity, right? There's not, I can't, yeah. I mean, can I YouTube like how to invest <laughs> in ATMs, right? You know, maybe give yeah. our listeners a little bit about like, how do you evaluate like an ATM opportunity, right? What's the profile with that? Yeah. So I've actually got a video on this too. Yeah. So there, it, yeah, you probably could YouTube some of it as well. So there's typically um, two major types of ATM operators. There's uh, the majority, which are mom and pop, you know, I've got a hundred ATMs in LA or in DC or wherever, and they're operating a small number. And then there's these two large uh, publicly traded groups that are multi-billion dollar companies. And then you've got a few kind of in between. So we're uh, working with one that's an in-between. It's the fifth largest operator of ATMs in the country, about 50,000 ATMs in six different states. And really, um, I'll give a quick overview. How it works is for investors, and again, this isn't an offer for any you know specific investment. We don't have the phone open all the time. Probably when this comes out, it will not be open. But uh, basically, you know, 100K invested returns about 2100 a month as a preferred return. So it's not a guaranteed, but it's preferred. The operator, their track record, they have not missed a monthly preferred return payment in over 10 years of doing it. So to have, you know, that kind of investment, that type of payout, you know, it's a 24.7% preferred return. It's very high. Um, that number can just feel like ridiculously high. But, uh, you know, again, what happens is people get about half, a little over half their money back within a couple of years. And then, um, you know, it's, it's over, just over four years, all the money's back. And the last three years is cash flow. So there's no big lump sum at the end. That's how it's different than a multifamily deal. A lot of people think, oh, you know, and then you get this big lump sum. At the end. No, you're getting paid back along the way. But when you get paid back is important, right? So if I have a multifamily deal, it's a five-year deal, and I get nothing for five years, and I get all the money then, and it doubles, that's different than if I get 90% back in year one. And that number, we call it to really look at the time value of money, is internal rate of return, or IRR, right? So that's kind of how we see that number. But I think how you vet a, a deal is, you know, well, what I did is I ended up you know, doing, doing some background checks on the partners, going out, asking some hard questions, you know, really... Uh, you know, actually looking at random ATMs in Pennsylvania and making sure that, hey, does this actually match up to the ones they say that are on their list? And, you know, is this actually correct? And I felt like everything matched up, everything, you know, matched up for me. So at first, when I heard about it, I just was very, honestly, I was very skeptical because I thought, man, it just seems like, could this be a scam or what is this? Like, how would you know these are actually your ATMs? And, uh, but, you know, track record says a lot, you know, reputation says a lot. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why I like this investment, but I think it's a great investment for cash flow. And a lot of times, Multifamily has been awesome, but it has not been as consistent cash flow investment as I'd like, especially these days where costs of everything are going up, cost of materials, costs of, yeah, rents are still generally going up, but the interest costs, other things are going up. So we've had deals that have been cash flowing. And all of a sudden, after, you know, a year of cash flowing, we said, you know, we actually can't cash flow this quarter because 
we need to pay higher interest costs or we have some other things that have come up, right? And it's not due to underperformance. It's just because things are costing more and there's the higher financing you know, rates. So so having other things in your portfolio that can provide cash flow is huge. We actually have three investors this last year that have invested right, or, or, you know, at or over a million dollars each because they just can't find anything that they know they can get consistent cash flow like this. So, you know, to get, you know, a preferred return of 21K a month uh, is, you know, for a million dollars invested, that's, that's pretty awesome, right? So to find deals that are kind of unique. So, so I think anything that is a little bit different than what you've experienced, I think it's good to, you know, try to poke around and say, you know, could this fit or some people dip their toe in and say, how does this work and make sure they understand it. But honestly, I heard about it about four or five years before I actually invested and then I invested for a number of years and then I decided to bring my investors to it. So it's just, I think every investment is, is different. It's one that I like for reasons of cash flow and depreciation. I love the way that you broke that down. And you made a really good point, especially on the, the cash flow and aspect of the multifamily space, right? You know, when I first got into this space, you know, five years ago, it was easy to find deals, nine, 10, 12% cash flow. And it seems like every year, the average cash on cash return throughout a five-year hold period the expectations is like, you know, 150 basis points less or so plus or minus. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing, too, is when I first got in, it was it was a plus if you were able to get interest only on your deal. Now it seems like, you know, some of these <laughs> value add deals, you know, you you have to put on interest only for a deal to work. I think, you know, in today's environment, uh, you definitely don't want to be very you know too one dimensional in your a- acquisition criteria. You definitely want to have an opportunity to diversify. And like you mentioned, the the ATM opportunities as well, you know, can be um, an asset class that our listeners today can diversify into other asset classes. And I'm curious about that on the ATM side is the like in the in the value add side, you know, we want to maybe increase rents, you know, year over year over year that, you know, helps with the yield and, and helps with the overall profitability with the entire project. But how does that work maybe on the ATM side? Is the revenue stream like coming from the fees generated from the ATM? Mm-hmm. Like, are you incrementally increasing the fees year over year to come? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good question. Yeah, yeah. So typically, um, and this is kind of hard for a lot of people that invest at ATMs to understand, is that you know, I haven't paid for an ATM fee in years. I mean, I don't. Maybe if unless I travel internationally, even then I try not to pay for ATM fees. But there is a segment of the population, five to ten percent, maybe five to seven percent, that are using ATMs all the time. Actually, the number of transactions at ATM machines have doubled in the last 20 years. And it's hard about how can that be, right? We're becoming more digital. There's all these PayPal and these, you know, digital everything and credit cards. And it's just, there's, you know, immigrants, there's people that work for cash, you know, under the table. And this really is their bank. We call it the the unbanked or the underbanked. And so they're using it as their bank. So they go in and they'll take out a hundred bucks or 60 bucks and, you know, a two, $3 fee is just part of doing business, right? That's just kind of, it's just a normal part of it. Now, how that works really from a, a kind of a mechanic standpoint is that we'll go into about 99% of these are existing locations where let's say it's a, it's a bar or it's a gas station or something. And we'll say, Hey, how's it going? Are you guys happy with the service and whatever? And they're happy because they're usually getting about half of the fees for whoever owns the establishment. They're not doing anything. They're getting half of the fees, right? So they're getting money just for having it there. And so we say, okay, great. Well, we'd love to actually get you a new ATM. And to do that, we just need to have you sign a new contract. So we have them, they sign, they sign another seven-year contract. We get them a new ATM machine. So the, the investor's money goes to buy the new ATM machine. And so um, that's kind of where those funds go. And then, you know, we know that that cash stream is secure for the next seven years. Again, for a lot of people, it's, it can be a little hard to understand just that, okay, I understand the mechanics. How does this work? But who's actually using these? But uh, we have some locations that are just extremely profitable 
And, you know, it is, it's really a convenience thing. It's now even government benefits are coming on debit cards. And there's a lot of people that just are using it. You can send money through ATM machines now. And so, you know, we, we really haven't seen a slowdown in it. And the, really the big risk I ask, well, what are the risks of this investment? No matter what the investment is, we're doing stuff. We're doing this car wash investment, kind of a roll up in private equity roll up strategy. We're doing a oil and gas technology. We're doing other things. I was trying to look at, well, what is the, the risk? And the primary risk I see is that people will stop using cash or cash will go away. But I don't think there's really the political will to do it because I think politically on the right, a lot of politicians and, and people right-leaning would say, well, no, it, you got to have some privacy that you can operate in cash where the government's not in your business, right? That's like a privacy thing. And then on, politically on the left, people would say, well, if we got we did away with cash, who would this hurt? What would hurt immigrants? It would hurt low income, whatever. And that's the people that use ATMs, right? So I just don't think there's the political will to take this out. And there's, I, there's a reason why people are using cash, whether it's privacy or, you know, doing, you know, under the table work or whatever, or, you know, there's a lot of reasons people do it. So I think it is important to understand how it works. It's hard to, you know, on a short time on this show to explain it all, but we have a, a full presentation. Somebody can reach out if they want to hear about it or see the replay. And we all usually open it a few times a year. Thank you so much for articulating, you know, the demand drivers behind that as well, right? Because maybe sure. our listeners are maybe interested in learning about ATM investing and, you know, maybe they've never heard of it before and are really trying to figure out, you know, how can they potentially get into this asset class and diversify? Definitely, you know, check out Bronson, follow him to learn more about, you know, ATM investing opportunities. So Bronson, you've been in real estate for quite some time now. You've had a ton of experience raising capital, doing deals. You know, this game is a marathon. It takes a long time to get your business up and running. You know, it's not a success overnight, but, you know, if you were to start this entire journey all over again, what's something that you would do differently that you think would impact your success at a much greater level today? So I think, you know, there's a saying, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. So, you know, obviously we can't go back and change, you know, we all want to this thing about, you know, time travel or back to the future. If I could just go back, you know, and change it. But I wish I could have started younger. I mean, I think we start, if we started, you know, sooner, we could have learned the things that we learned. But, you know, being in sales and being, you know, having some of the business experience I did really helped me to be able to be successful in real estate, be able to work with people, to be able to analyze deals and, and do some of that. So I think for anyone, I would just say, you know, start today, start this week, make a commitment, make a decision to learn and to go for it. And I think, you know, I really think, it's an incredible time to learn. It's an incredible time to start investing. It's an incredible time to grow because, you know, we'll look back and say, you know, if I had started this sooner, if I had done these certain things, it could be different. And so I think just getting in action, uh, a lot of times you don't know exactly what you need to do, but if you're just making daily, weekly actions, you'll get there. And I'm sure even as an athlete, you saw that if you just continue to take the actions and the practices and the steps and the coaching and you got better and better and better because you were in it and you were just continually doing it. And I think that's how people really get in it. So I'd say that's the biggest thing of, of advice is just to really, you know, get yourself out of inaction, make a decision, you know, like that Tony Robbins quote, it's your moments of decision that your destiny shapes. So make a decision that, Hey, I'm going to retire from my job in five years. I'm going to go to this many meetups. I'm going to invest this amount within 60 days just to actually get started because until you actually invest in a deal until you're actually going to meetups until you're actually doing it yourself you're not going to grow in a way you could that if you were doing it i totally agree man it's uh i heard someone say the other day it's about micro speed but macro patience huh. taking action every single day to yeah. attack get after it you know some days you're going to wake up and you're going to feel like man today is not the day right but 
you know, it just kind of takes me back to my football days and, and just remembering like somebody's after your lunch, right? Um, yeah. It's up to you <laughs> to protect yeah. it, make sure that your family has a way to eat and put yourself in a position that allows you to create that legacy wealth and that destiny and that time freedom that you mentioned early on in the podcast. So, um, you know, there's there was just so many uh, nuggets and gems that were dropped today. Uh, learned about ATM investing, you know, multifamily, you know, talked about capital raising, all of the things that I think our listeners really need to pay attention to in today's commercial real estate landscape. So give our listeners a little bit context of like how they can follow you, where they can find you, if they want to invest with your company, how they can do so. Yeah, awesome. I, I love connecting with individuals. Um, we have our free report, which are our ebook, which is how to use inflation to your advantage. There's a few other uh, strategies I didn't mention on this show, but it's a free download at bronsonequity.com. And uh, we can, you know, you'll get kind of on our list and hear about our stuff too. Uh, we do have our investment club that's also there. And then we're also on social media. So I love connecting with folks and actually writing a book right now about passive investing that should come out in 2023 this year. So hopefully, um, you know, we'll have that out and be able to continue sharing, but I, this is really great, man. Really enjoyed coming on the show and it's really great talking with you and just love the approach that you have and I'm, you're helping a lot of folks. I love this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, awesome, man. Thank you so much for being a guest on our show. We talked about a lot of actionable items that I think our listeners are going to benefit a lot from today. So thank you again for being a guest on our show. Thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another episode of today's Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss another episode. Also, please remember to leave a review. It was really, really helpful for us to get more feedback, bring helpful guests and important guests like the one we have today, and just help you in your real estate journey. So let's go out there, take action, and remember that real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. So run your own race. Thanks again, Bronson. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.